and good morning to you. It's good to be with you again on Valentine's Day, President's Day weekend, and uh, it's a day of worship, and it's great to be able to worship with you. I'm Dave Mitchell, and uh, good to see all the red-shirted people out there. I never thought about that. I thought it was like a Christmas thing, but it's good to be with you. I invite you to take the Bibles in hand, and also there's an outline that is in today's bulletin that you will find, I think, an extra tool to help you stay alert, remember, and reflect, and actually have something that would last beyond one hour, and uh, something that could last in the digging deeper for the coming week as well. We're in a series called Generous, a life-giving series where life is being changed because, as we just sang, and as we heard last Sunday, we really serve a very generous God. And uh, this morning we want to focus on 1 Timothy chapter 6. Paul the Apostle wrote this to the church at Ephesus to a pastor whose name was Timothy, and thus the name 1 Timothy. And as he instructed Timothy, he gave him guidelines and instructions and uh, inspiration of the Holy Spirit from God to help him guide that specific church in Ephesus. And here we are 2,000 years later, and we're still reading that same letter that he wrote to Timothy. It is written to us and guides us in how we live out our lives as well. He has a lot of practical things in this letter that he wrote to Timothy, and amongst those things that he has written, he has given to us this theme. Why and when generosity is easy. If you look at the outline, you can see when generosity is easy is broken down into three parts. And that's what we're going to do this morning. It's when I pursue real contentment. Secondly, when I avoid signs of discontentment. And thirdly, when I manage the funds that God has given to me as He has instructed me to do so. So generosity can be easy. God is a very generous God. Let me give you this wonderful story that you may or may not be aware of. There's a church called Providence United Methodist Church. And it was back in, I think, 1876. The people had gathered together at this church. And uh, they were very close to the water's edge. It's in Swan Quarter, North Carolina. And as North Carolina and a lot of those uh, eastern coast uh, states have to suffer through hurricane season, they were battling that as a church building as well. So they wanted to do something about the hurricane season and the floods that would come in off the shore. And so they went to an individual, his name was Mr. Sadler, and they asked Mr. Sadler if they could purchase his property, which was up on a raised portion on Main Street in Swan Quarter, North Carolina. And he said, no, I have a, an investment opportunity where I can make a lot more money if I don't sell it to you and invest on property of uh, some sort of development that he wanted to create. And so they purchased another site that wasn't as good, but they went ahead and purchased it anyways, thinking that's better than what they had. So on September the 16th in 1876, they dedicated that site to the Lord. And what also happened is even more spectacular. Because on that same day and that same weekend, a hurricane came. And the waters flooded the town of Swan Quarter, North Carolina. There were five feet of water flowing in, as I have a little picture of Google Maps. That water that surged in from the Atlantic Ocean flooded the entire town of Swan Quarter. Flooded in such a way that that little building, the little white building you see on the back side of the brick building, which is their building today, but that was their building back then, that little white building. 
And that five-foot flood lifted up that building, floated it down Church Street, and then it took a left and went down Main Street. And as it floated down Main Street, it came to the property of Mr. Sadler that they wanted to purchase in the first place. And it floated right on top of that property and then literally turned the church around to face Main Street. And there it remained. And when Mr. Sadler saw what had taken place, he finally consented to sell the property to that church. And uh, now they say there in Swan Quarter, it's the, it's, the, it's the church that has the hand of God on it. And it used to be called Swan Quarter United Methodist Church. And they changed it Providence United Methodist Church because they saw it was the providence of God that led that church. And there on Google Maps, that little red dot, that's where they live. That's where the church is today, where God floated that church to the property that they'd always wanted. And so... I'm not going to, there's a lot of tangents to that. But you get the idea that God is a generous God and sometimes He parts the Red Sea. Sometimes He raises Lazarus from the dead. Sometimes we get to be participants in the miracles of God. Often it's sort of a flat line in terms of this uh, this tremendous miracles. But in this particular case in 1876, God says, I want to let you know, I'm still a God who's in the business of doing miracles. And they still have that community as a miraculous place because God is a generous God and then he invites us into that when does generosity become easy let me read some of 1st Timothy chapter 6 you might take the Bible that's in the rack in front of you if you have you open your phone open your iPad open your computer or open your old-fashioned Bible like I have here and in 1st Timothy chapter 6 verse 6 it says but godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. For we have brought nothing into the world, so we cannot take anything out of it either. If we have food and clothing and covering with these, we shall be content. But those who want to get rich fall into temptation and to a snare and to many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil, and some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. And we'll pick up the rest of it in a minute. When does generosity become easy? When I understand and pursue real contentment. When that is my goal. Again, everything that we say here comes from God's Word. This is stuff I sort of thought up in the course of the week or read Reader's Digest and somehow came up with it. This is what God says. God says contentment is this, but godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. Godliness means something that I do that pleases God. Godliness. Let me illustrate something. It was over 30 years ago that Joey and I started having kids. Jessica was born. She was born on a Sunday. It happened to be Super Bowl Sunday when she was born. So I was conflicted. (laughs) But she was born, and she's actually born on Joy's birthday, which is on Super Bowl that, that year as well. And so that was a wonderful thing because up to that point, people had given us baby showers in our church, Faith Baptist Church in Corona. They gave us baby showers and extra gifts, and we were so blessed by just the gift of life as well as the other gifts that were... And then Jessica was born and then she lived and then her first birthday rolled around. And then it suddenly hit me. Every time she has a birthday, 
I'm going to have to buy things for her. I thought, wow, well, nobody ever informed me of that, but here it comes. And then at Christmas time, I had to buy things for her. And I was getting a little annoyed because every time it was her birthday and every time it's Christmas, it's like she expects me to give things to her. And then we had Kiersey. Kiersey came. And then on Kiersey's first birthday, we had to buy things for her. And so then for the last 30 plus years, every time their birthday rolls around and every time Christmas rolls around, we have to buy them things. They expect me to give them things on their birthdays and on Christmas, sometimes on Easter. It's just incredible. And so I've decided something. I've decided since every time birthday rolls around, every time Christmas, I'm just not going to go. I'm not going to show up. Because I resent that every time I go to their parties, they expect me to give them something. And I think that's just not very nice. Now, obviously, I am, hopefully obviously, being sarcastically, cynically silly. And the reason I say that is because often we have a mindset that every time I go to the church, they expect me to give them things. So we have people that don't go to church because all the church wants is my money. Let me go back to the text. But godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. Paul begins this portion on generosity by talking about godliness. What is godliness? Godliness is a God-pleasing style. And the reason that I enjoy Jessica and Kirstie's birthdays and Christmas and other events throughout the year when we have the opportunity to give them things is because I love them. And I give out of a love for them. And it's out of that love that says in my heart that I am privileged to provide for their needs and beyond their needs. Well, when I go to the church, if I am a godly saint, if I am here because I love the Lord, this is the premise of all that Paul is going to say. If I love the Lord, I love the church, I love the work of God, whether it's the Spradleys in Macedonia or Elam Ministries in Iran, as we just heard, or those things that are happening right here in Orange County or Hume Lake with our high school kids up there. I love to give to what God is doing because a godly person is a godly person who pleases the Lord and it's out of a loving relationship that I don't resent that they expect me to give. I look forward to the opportunity to participate in what God is calling me to do. So generosity comes out of a godly love for Him just as much as my generosity to my daughters, and I actually even give Joy something on her birthday as well. (laughs) Why? Because we love them. And those we love, we love to give to. I love the Lord. I love to give to Calvary Church. I love my family. I love to give to them as well. And so what we're saying here, for those who are getting uptight over, ooh, all they want is my money, then I suggest don't give anything if you don't love the Lord. Keep it. 
Give it to something or someone you do love. But when you do fall in love with the Lord, we don't have to talk you into giving. We simply say, here's the opportunity. Because godly people, godliness is a means of great gain. Godliness is a means of great gain because it comes out of a love affair with the Lord Jesus Christ and the work that he's called us to do. Contentment comes out of an attitude like that. That's why the Apostle Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 8, For I testify that according to their ability, beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord. They gave of their own accord, begging us with much urging for the favor of participation, the support of the saints. Paul didn't beg them. They begged Paul to give more. They pleaded with Paul, can I please give more? Why is that? Not as we expected, for they first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. You see, they love the Lord first and then they beg to give to God's work second. So Paul then begins with this contentment message. But godliness is actually a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. The word contentment is made up of two words. Auto meaning self like automatic and archaeo, which means sufficient. I am self-sufficient. Not in a selfish sort of a way, but in the sense that I have all that I need. I have all that I need right now. How do you gain contentment is then spelled out by the Apostle Paul in the next couple of verses. He says this, For we have brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of it. I learn contentment when I learn to view things the way God views his thing, views things. That is, they are temporary and they are fragile. I didn't bring it in, I won't take it out, and while I have it, it's a very fragile and temporary condition that I live in. Ecclesiastes says this, There is a grievous evil which I have seen under the sun, riches being hoarded by their owner to his hurt. When those riches were lost through a bad investment, he had fathered a son, then there was nothing to support him. And he had come naked from his mother's womb, so he will return as he came. For he will take nothing from the fruit of his labor that he can carry in his hand. It is a temporary assignment that God has given to us. Contentment views things the way he views things. They are fragile and they are temporary. And they are nothing that I will take with me when I go to heaven illustrated to me way back when I was in fourth grade. And Cheerios had this offer that if I mail in this coupon, they will send me a, 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 a little stagecoach like this with four horses in the front. And I went into eBay, and here's the picture of the kind of thing that I ordered from Cheerios way back in the dark days when you actually had to put stamps on mails and mail them in and all that. And then about six weeks later, it arrived. And it's one of those things that looks like that, but there's a little rubber band underneath it, and you would wind up the rubber band, and it would turn those little wheels, and it would go marching down the middle of your you know, room. And so I was there, and I finally arrived, and my neighbor, next-door neighbor, her name was Avenel Edwards. Avenel and I were opening this package, and there was a stagecoach, and there were the horses, and I wound that thing up for the very first time and let it fly down the kitchen floor. I still remember going down the kitchen floor, and then Avenel began running after it to get it on the other end, and she accidentally stepped on it and broke it. Yeah. Boo, Avenel! (laughs) And so... Sorry. It's just it's my little child come out of me again. But I thought about that 
And I learned in fourth grade that it doesn't matter what it is, it's fragile, it's going to break, it's not going to last. And God taught me early on, Dave, don't hang on to anything because somebody like Avenel is going to come and step on it for you. God says, "Have be content with whatever you have. Be content by viewing it the way God does and by viewing our real needs. What are our real needs? If we have food and covering with these, we shall be content. That's all that I need to be contented. If I've got a roof over my head and I have enough clothing to carry me through the day, that is enough for me to feel contentment. Because everything else is extra. We have so much extra, many of us in this room. So many of us have extra stuff. And the more things we get doesn't make our lives better. Warren Buffett has a, what he calls the jerk doctrine. He said, of the billionaires I have known, money just brings out the basic traits in them. If they were jerks before they had money, they're simply jerks with a billion dollars. The mindset is that, that by acquiring more things, it doesn't make me better. Now, candidly, I'd rather be a jerk with a billion than a jerk without a billion. But nevertheless, it doesn't improve who you are. It doesn't make you someone better than you were. Contentment comes out of food and clothing or covering. And with that, I will be content, Paul says. That is our goal for contentment. Proverbs puts it this way. Here's the perfect mindset of contentment. Two things I asked of you. Do not refuse me before I die. Keep deception and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is my portion that I may not be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? So I have so much I don't need God anymore. Or that I not be in want and steal and profane the name of the Lord. Contentment is that sweet middle ground where I don't have too much, I don't have too little. I'm just living in that sweet spot that God has provided enough for me now. And by seeking to have more, I am running the risk of damage. Proverbs gives us that perfect example. Job, the richest man that had ever lived at that time, the oldest book in the Bible, After he lost everything, we know the story, lost literally everything. This was his mindset. Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Through all this, Job did not sin, nor did he blame God. That's a contented heart. That understood the basic things that Paul's saying here. That a heart of contentment, out of godliness views things the way he does, fragile and temporary, and views my needs the way he does, with food and covering, that's enough. I don't need more. I can go to Best Buy, I can go to Costco, I can see a lot of things I think I need. But God says, no, you don't. Because contentment comes in that sweet spot. Now, if God blesses us with more, fine. But here's the risk. The second warning, second sign. Second way for generosity to be easy. Generosity is easy when I really understand and pursue true contentment. Secondly, generosity is easy when I avoid the signs of discontentment. And we break down, there's a lot in this couple of verses that we won't dig into so much. But here's sign number one that I have a discontented heart. When my personal and professional life is a mess from foolish and harmful desires over money. Paul writes, verse 9, 
But those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. I mean, this is a spiral going down. The strong language that he has, you want to get rich, so you fall, you collapse into a temptation. And it's a snare, it's a trap, like you'd put for a snaring a rabbit. And he says, they are foolish and harmful desires. The word desire means to literally stretch as far as I can to get something. But it is foolish and it is harmful that you desire that. And it plunges you. Like diving off a high dive, plunging deep into the ocean. It plunges men into ruin and destruction. We get the word apocalypse from that. Paul says you're heading to an apocalypse by wanting and desiring foolish and harmful things. When my personal and professional life is getting messed up because I want more. I remember uh, friends of ours up in Lodi, and I love to talk about our friends in Lodi, and they love it too, by the way. And they were having some problems in their family, their kids, their marriage, stuff like that. So I walked into their family, walked into their kitchen and their family room, and Hey, how's it going? And as we were talking about their various problems, I looked at the refrigerator. You know how a lot of us put things on our refrigerator, got children and grandchildren stuff and things like that, pictures and artwork that they did and stuff like that. And I looked at their refrigerator and there was a picture of a huge yacht on it. I go, wow, what's the, what's the deal with the big yacht on your refrigerator? Well, they were part of a pyramid program and the pyramid program people that were enticing them to sell these things and buy people underneath them said, put on your refrigerator your goal for making money. They said, our goal is to buy that yacht. I thought, oh, that's interesting. That's your goal, but your family's falling apart. And to me, as we explored what was taking place, and they eventually took that down and began to reorient their priorities. But it gave me a glimpse into the window of their heart that they wanted this thing. They wanted more money. They had a foolish and harmful desire. I'm not saying wanting a yacht or anything else is necessarily a foolish and harmful desire, but in their case, that was their goal. That was their priority. That's what they were striving for, to the neglect of their own children, to the neglect of their own marriage. And that's what Paul says, that it gets you into a ruin and destruction. More marriages are destroyed over finances than perhaps any other thing. Because we all want something there. And there's a failure of contentment. That's sign number one of discontentment. Chesterton said it this way, To be clever enough to get a great deal of money, one must be stupid enough to want it. Now, God blesses some with great sums of money. I'm not saying that's wrong. If God does it and you didn't strive for it and make it your priority in life, because there's other things that are more important than money. God will provide for some great sums. God will provide some little sums. So God wants us to be wise and understand when I'm wanting things that are ruining my life, messing up my professional and personal life. A second sign of discontentment is this. 
So my spiritual life is a failure and painful because I love money. It is eroding away the very fiber of my faith of walking with the Lord faithfully. And I'm not content with where I'm at. I'm striving because I want and I have a love for more things. I have a love for more money. And it is making me spiritually impoverished as I try to gain financial sums of money. Paul writes it this way, For the love of money, as we are all familiar with this one, for the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. The love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. And some by longing for it, some by longing for it, have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. And the word wandered there, I've talked about it a number of times, the Greek word planeo, we get the word planet from it. People who want this, who love money, are now planeting. They are wandering around the wrong thing. They're wandering around money and things. They're no longer wandering, planeting around God. The godliness of contentment is lost. They no longer love the Lord. They love the money. And that transition causes many to pierce themselves with many griefs. Joe and I have a friend from way back in the Westmont days where we went, and he announced to me one day, my goal in life is to be a millionaire. I thought, well, that's a pretty audacious goal. Way to go, you know. All us getting out of Westmont were as poor as we could possibly be. Though, well, that's fantastic. And so that was his goal, and he pursued that goal, and he pursued that goal, and he kept pursuing that goal. And today I can tell you, because I still know who he is and I still follow his life, He's lost his entire family. He's divorced. Doesn't have that healthy a relationship with his kids. And because he had this audacious love for money, he wandered away from true faith of the priorities of God and godliness with contentment. There's another great example of that. United Methodist Church in St. Mary's, Georgia. St. Mary's, Georgia. They have a man in their church. His name was Warren Bailey. Warren Bailey <clears throat> grew, uh, lived to be about 88 years of age. Warren Bailey, and this is the thing, Warren Bailey never attended their church. But every year, he would write them a check for $100,000. Now, the entire church budget was $300,000. So one man covered one-third of the entire church budget. There's something highly risky about that. So we like to spread the wealth. But nevertheless, that's what he chose to do. So at age 88, he finally passed away. And lo and behold, they got a notification from the lawyer that Warren Bailey has left you in his estate. They go, oh, that's great. And they get notification that he has left everything in his estate to that church, to this church, St. Mary's United Methodist Church. And they were given $60 million. $60 million. Oh, why didn't he live here in Orange County? And so that's Warren Bailey. I don't know where his faith was, but his priorities of finances. He says, I love this church. And for whatever reason, that's what he left with them. But I remember the pastor. Here's a quote of St. Mary's United Methodist Church. Pastor Derek McClear, who received this sum of money to he and his congregation. It's all unreal to me. This is a number that doesn't have any reality to me. 
And then he worried about his church and he asked himself this question, how do we remain a Christian church? How do we remain a Christian church? He says, I am so fearful that our people are going to become extremely greedy with this newfound wealth. Well, that's a test. It's a real test. But fortunately, you can go to St. Mary's United Methodist Church online today, and they have now set up a foundation. And that $60 million became a basis for this foundation where you can submit a request to fund whatever it is you're trying to fund, and they will consider that as a request to fund it through this foundation they set up. It's an amazing thing that happens when God's people understand what it means to have a living trust where they then through that living trust pass on the wealth that has been accumulated and they place it in the hands of God's people, whatever that cause may be for you, and how God then can use that to multiply and make your commitment to Jesus live beyond the years that you have on this earth. And so Warren Bailey's life lives on by the gift that he gave to the Lord. That's why we are offering what is called Christian trust, um, Christian, now that I say that I forget what it is, Christian trust makers, I think it is, a living trust that can be established. You're going to be hearing more about that in the next week or two. That allows you to get in line your estate so that it is given to those and wherever you want it to go that God leads your heart to do so. The third way that I have generosity that is made easy is this. Number one, when I have this beautiful contentment before the Lord, godly contentment. Number two, when I am able to understand the signs of discontentment. But number three, generosity is made easy when I manage my money God's way. Now Paul begins to describe for us how to manage money God's way. He drops down to verse 17 through 19, then he, at the very end of this letter, he writes this in verse 17, Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or fix their hope in the uncertainty of riches, but on God. See, that's like godliness. Who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and ready to share, storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. Let me break that down the way I see Paul describing managing my money God's way. The first thing that I see him saying is to view money the way God views money. That is humbly accept how uncertain and disappointing it can be. Paul then says this in verse 17, Instruct those who are rich in this world, and we can be very rich in this world. There is nothing sinful innately about being rich. But those who are rich in this world, don't be conceited. Don't think that you're better than people who aren't as rich as you. That's what he's saying. And then secondly, don't fix your hope on the uncertainty of riches. They can flee from you. They are very uncertain. If you get lots of money in the stock market lately, you're seeing it flee very fast from you. It's very easy for it to go away. So if you are rich in this present world, you're not better than others. And secondly, don't keep your hope there because that hope is going to be hopeless. 
Proverbs says this, Do not weary yourself to gain wealth. Cease from your consideration of it. When you set your eyes on it, it is gone. For wealth certainly makes itself wings like an eagle that flies towards the heavens. The Bible is clear about this. We should know this. Sometimes it's harder to live this. The second thing that he says about managing money God's way is the source of my money. It comes from God to enjoy. God is the source of all that I have. He is the one who is generous. Whether it's Providence, United Methodist Church in Swan Quarter, North Carolina, or you or me at Calvary Church Santa Ana. God is the one who gives us what we have. He makes it very clear. He says, but on God, put your hope on God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. He wants us to enjoy things. He wants us to feel blessed by things. He doesn't want us to grudgingly receive His blessings to us. Much like when I give to our daughters. I want them to enjoy whatever little gifts we can give them. I don't want them to say, oh, Dad, I I feel so guilty that you have given. No, I want you to enjoy this. We've been blessed. We want to bless you. And when I give to the church, we've been blessed, Lord, and I want to bless you back because you have given to us it all. And I trust you for that. Deuteronomy 8.18 says, But you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is He who has given you the power to make wealth. Let God bless you with those things. Walk by faith in the provision of a generous God that provides us with all things to enjoy. It's easy to have a guilt trip every time you have stuff like this come rolling around. Thirdly, when I manage money God's way, I understand the purpose of my money. I know the source of my money. It's God. I know the purpose of my money. Why does God give me things? To be good, to do good, to be generous, and to be ready to share. As 1 Timothy 6.18 says, Here is the purpose of all that I have. It is to instruct them to do good. Those who are rich in this world, God's richly supplied you to enjoy those things. Now here's what you do with those things. Do good with them. Be rich in good works. Be generous and ready to share. Let the work of God flow through you with doing good, being generous, ready to share. The word generous, breaking that Greek word down, and this looks, now that I say this, it looks more complicated than I want it to be. It is eu meaning well, and meta meaning with, and dikami, which is to give, to give, didomi, to give well, to give well. Generous people give well. And then ready to share. I just love the word. Many of us know the word koinonia. Sometimes Sunday school classes are named koinonia. It means fellowship. Ready to share is koinonikos, which means a fellowship in which I share, share with others. Being ready to share. Sometimes things like debt takes my readiness away. Let me give you a good example of being ready to share. A couple of weeks ago we had a series on Simplify. And often in that Simplify series, we would have you break up in little groups and share. Now, not everybody likes to do that. I understand that. We're not going to do that this morning. But in one of those little groups that gathered together, Shannon Reese was in that group. She had prayed with a young woman. This woman is going to college back in New Jersey. It was like three or four weeks ago. And then they got together in their group. And so I don't know, at least three of them were in this group. And it was Shannon, this college student, and another older woman. And the older woman began to ask this college student, uh, so where are you going to college in New Jersey and give some details? And how are you going there? Well, I have a scholarship that's paying for my tuition. That's great. 
Is that scholarship paying for everything in your college education? Well, no, it's not covering the books. And this woman's sitting right out here where you are sitting just three or four Sundays ago on the spur of the moment was both generous and ready to share. And she says, I want to pay for your books for the next four years of your college education. I'll pay for them all. And she was blown away. Couldn't believe it. That to me is a spirit of generosity. And she was ready to share. In koinonia, in fellowship, connected with others, God presents the opportunity and she responds. That's a beautiful heart that is ready to share, to do good. She says, I've been blessed. I've had businesses that have done well. I am able to do this. I want to do this. That's a lovely heart of godliness. When generosity is made easy because I am content with what I have, because I know signs of discontentment, and because I manage money God's way. And God's way is instruct the rich to do good, be generous, ready to share. That's a beautiful story of how God wants us to live our lives so that I can have the results. It's a life that has real value and real meaning with eternity. Storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. We want our church, I want our church, to take hold of life that is real life that God has called us into. We want to take hold of that. We're building up a treasure that can never be taken away in heaven, and so why not spread it around here on earth so that it accrues value in heaven? Because God, He's watching me. He's watching how I use my funds. And He is blessed. And now He says, be generous do good, ready to share. Let me show you a little video. One of our guys here at Calvary Church, David Holtman, is another shining example of taking advantage of an opportunity that God has and brings generosity to some of the least of us in our neighborhoods. Take a look. Look behind me, you'll see the tents. And every bridge and underpass all the way to the beach, you have a family veterans, no showers, tattoos, very scary, some of them, very humble, very thankful, just leaving a a water and a donut, feels really good, I was training for um, cycling or on uh, mountain bike racing, and so I'll be doing this at 3.30, 4 o'clock in the morning, and it's um, super cold, 30, 40 degrees. And I noticed on, under one of the bridges or, or two that there was uh, homeless that were uh, jumping around. But it dawned to me that they're just trying to stay warm. And I and I said, there, gosh, if only they had a pair of nice wool socks that I, like I have right now. And so it gave me the idea to start talking about it with my, my wife, with my son, and my sister-in-law. We decided to make some food and, and get some things for Christmas morning. We stuffed stuff in stockings. We gave them toiletries, um, gloves, beanies, socks, food, burritos. And almost every place we went to, 
they were very open to our welcome, welcomed us there. One of the first times when we were doing this, I won't forget this. There was this, a Latino man. Me and him didn't understand a word word each other, but he understood the hug and he understood that I was given to him. And I. This proves that even if there's a language barrier, love is shown. Everyone has a, has a different story. And, and, it's, and it's not just they're under here drinking, using drugs. Their story might be a, of a bankruptcy, a divorce, mental illness don't know but what what, what we can do is I want to do is show love well where's my outreach where's my mission field going to be and and now I'm looking back after three years this is my mission field and I didn't see that coming when you love people that way it begins to open doors of relationships and Christ walks through it. You'll see Dave as you walk out. He heads up our usher crew in the second hour, and he said he's as nervous as could be because he doesn't do this for show. He's not trying to get attention to himself. But we could probably multiply that over and over by many of you as well. But we're going to give you an opportunity. You have in your bulletin a Valentine's card. If you didn't buy yours from CVS yet, here you go. And there's nothing on the inside, but there's an envelope. And I'm going to take a couple of minutes right now and simply invite you to take this in hand and think through in your mind's eye who and what can you do good, be generous, ready to share? Time, talent, or treasure. It might be something you want to give to someone. Write it down. It might be something you want to do for someone. Write it down. We just wanted to encourage you to say, here's a first practical next step. Sort of get me in my mind's eye. As Paul instructs those of us who are rich in this present world, how can we and where can we do good, be generous, ready to share? And it begins that journey, maybe for some of us. For others, it's a continuation of the journey. That may be the case for you. That's great. Would you take a couple of minutes and just write down maybe a name or a group and what you can do, gifts, service, time, talent, treasure, whatever that may be. Let's take a look at that.
as you continue, think about that. Let me just pray for us as we worship together. Father, thank you for your guidance in our lives. Help us to be people that are known as those who have been blessed by you, where generosity is made easy because we're content with what we have, because we see things the way you do. We see our needs the way you do. Where we understand the signs of discontentment, Lord, where the love of money and the harmful and foolish desires are beginning to ruin and undermine my faith in you. That, Father, we will be those that manage well all that you have given to us, that you've blessed us with to enjoy. And may it be enjoyable for us, Father. I pray that it's enjoyable for us to do good, to be generous and ready to share so that eternal treasure of heaven grows every day. Thank you for the privilege to serve you in that way. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.